0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome to this Monday edition of Washington Watch. I hope you had a great weekend. Well, coming up, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen took to the Sunday shows yesterday, saying June 1st would be the date that the U.S. will not be able to pay all its bills.
2: We expect um, to be unable to pay all of our bills in early June, and possibly as soon as June 1st. I certainly haven't changed my assessment, so I think that that's a, a, a hard right. deadline.
1: President Biden says he is considering using the 14th Amendment in the debt ceiling debate to sidestep Congress. I'm looking at the 14th Amendment as to whether or not we have the authority. I think we have the authority. The question is, could it be done and invoked in time That it could not would not be appealed and as a consequence past the date in question and still the fall of the debt. That's a question that I think is unresolved. Well his own Treasury Secretary said, yeah, that's not a viable solution.
2: There has been much discussion of the Fourteenth Amendment and as President Biden said, I believe this morning, it doesn't seem like something it could be appropriately used in these circumstances, given the legal uncertainty um, around it and given the tight time frame and we're on.
1: We'll get the latest from Virginia Congressman Bob Good over the debt ceiling discussions. He is a member of the House Budget Committee. And here is a real ringer. With a growing population on the planet, we just crossed the threshold of 8 billion fellow citizens around the world. We just crossed that in this last year. But emissions from the food system alone are projected to cause another half a degree of warming by mid-century. That was the climate czar, John Kerry, seeking relevance as he elevates the planet over people, saying food production is a problem for the climate. So, what, we just let people starve? We're going to talk with Missouri Congressman Mark Alford, who has called upon President Biden to denounce the czar for actually using farmers and ranchers as, quote, scapegoats for greenhouse gas emissions. That's coming up a little bit later. And in another Biden administration crisis, self-proclaimed sanctuary cities like New York City are unbelievably trying to blame Republicans. Yes, you heard me. Republicans for the immigration crisis. Let's be clear. The migrants and asylum seekers are paroled into the country through CF, through CF, uh, the border, custom border patrol. Uh, That is totally different from those who come to the country without uh, any documentation. That's the definition when you look at sanctuary cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem is that Republicans for far too many years have failed to deal with real immigration reform. Hmm. I, I, I actually think they passed the bill recently. But it's not moving in the Senate. That uh, was New York City Mayor Eric Adams yesterday on Face the Nation. We'll look at the growing illegal immigration problem with Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale, a member of the House Border Security Caucus. And finally, the World Health Organization is meeting in Geneva, Switzerland this week, where it is apparently trying to rewrite history.
2: The pandemic has confronted us with unprecedented challenges. And it has also demonstrated what your WHO is capable of.
1: That was the director general of the WHO, Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus, saying "Ah, the WHO did well during COVID. They handled it good. These wildly inaccurate statements are simply meant to justify an unprecedented power grab by the UN agency that's taking place even this week. Former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman is in Geneva, and she will join us later. Our word for today comes from Zechariah 1, verses 5 and 6. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? Has anyone ever asked you if you're afraid of being on the wrong side of history because you're not keeping up with the times, changing your views on issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, and transgenderism? I've been asked many times, and my answer is always the same. No, I'm not, because truth never changes. Before the Lord gives Zachariah these visions here in these first few chapters about the future, he gives him this word looking back, paraphrasing it. It's like this. Where are those who did it their own way? refusing to listen to my word? Well, the answer was obvious. Their demise was just as God's word said it would be. It was the word of God that prevailed. Stand on the word, and you'll be on the eternal side of history. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. After debate, uh, debt ceiling discussions, Uh, broke down last Friday. Republican negotiators resumed talks with the Biden White House this morning, setting the stage for a meeting between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Biden set to begin shortly. With an early June deadline looming, Republicans remain united, but the president doesn't seem to be moving. What's next? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Bob Good. He serves on the House Budget Committee and the House Committee on Education and the Workforce he represents. The 5th Congressional District of Virginia. Congressman Good, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us. Great
3: to be with you again, Tony. Thanks for having me.
1: So Speaker McCarthy's meeting with the president is is expected to begin shortly. What are you hearing?
3: Well, the, the main point, Tony, is that the House has done its job, and the only thing left to happen is for the Senate to pass our bill and the president to sign it. Uh, and what our message is to the speaker, we're behind him. Uh, but the House Freedom Caucus, as you know, put out our official position on Friday, reiterating the fact that we came together over the last 90 days to negotiate a debt ceiling increase. Most Republicans did not want to increase the debt limit at all. Most Republicans had never voted for a debt ceiling increase. However, we came together after 90 days while the Senate and the White House were MIA, missing in action on the sidelines, nowhere to be found, predicting failure in the House. Meanwhile, House Republicans came together with significant cuts, uh, structural reforms that would put us on a path towards fiscal responsibility in exchange for a modest by D.C. standards debt ceiling increase. Quite frankly, the only negotiation should be when the Senate is going to pass the bill to avoid any consequence of reaching the debt limit, and the president should sign it and not risk any consequence to the country.
1: So, Congressman Good, this raises a good question. How long has the Senate had the House bill that the House passed?
3: We are, are coming up on, I think, about 25 days since the House did its job, and we sent that bill to the Senate. There was no reason for them to sit on it. As you know, led by uh, the great Mike Lee from Utah, you had 43 senators sign a written statement saying they support the House bill, which means Chuck Schumer has no option. He can't pass anything out of the Senate that doesn't cut spending. Uh, You have a couple of more Republican senators who verbally have pledged to join that effort. So we're somewhere in the range of 45. We only need 40, as you know, to hold the line or 41, I should say, to prevent the Senate from being able to pass anything with filibuster. So uh, the Senate has no option but to pass the House bill. We have the first opportunity in modern times, Tony, to force real cuts in spending, real structural reforms uh, to put us on a path, again, to fiscal responsibility. Kevin McCarthy can be a historic speaker that stared down the Democrats, that stared down the White House, made them cave, and we should not snatch Defeat from the jaws of victory. We need to use the leverage and the power we have by the success of the House of Representatives passing this bill and force the Democrats and the Senate to pass it.
1: You know, Bob, all that you say is is correct. I want to emphasize that what's been proposed by the House is by no means drastic. I mean, That's this right. is this is simply going back to the budget numbers of of twenty twenty two, which are, frankly elevated in and of themselves, but the president wants even more.
3: Yes, there's not going to be a default unless we continue on the current track and we keep, continue this reckless spending and we can no longer borrow and service our debt or pay our debt. That would be a future default. Uh, In in the immediacy here, we don't need to fear some kind of catastrophic consequence. We're spending about $100 billion a month more than we're taking in. If the Senate does not follow the House uh, leadership and pass this bill, it would force a reduction in uh, spending of about $100 billion a month. Quite frankly, who cares if we don't fund the WHO or the NIH or the U.N., or the promotion of LGBTQ around the world, there's more than enough revenue to pay the interest on the debt, to pay for the VA, to pay for our national defense, to pay for Social Security and Medicare. It would simply force prioritization of spending, of payments, I should say, and the Democrats will not abide by that. So we need to force them to pass the House bill because they won't be able to fund all their pet projects, because they won't be able to borrow any more to do that.
1: In other words, government should focus on what it's supposed to do.
3: Exactly Um, right.
1: Let let me ask you this question, because the president, I I don't do this gleefully, but the president is not being straightforward with the American people in in all of these discussions. You know, he's often talking about how he's cut the deficit. Well, that's because we didn't have Congress, uh, you know, renew a $1.9 trillion relief bill. I mean, that's the only reason we've seen some reduction in his uh, debt-fueled spending. But he said that he's offered a trillion dollars in cuts in these negotiations. That's not true. No, sir.
3: But this is the same president, as you know, who says he has secured the border. This is the same president who has said that the Afghanistan withdrawal was a great success. And this is the same president who has claimed credit for reducing the deficit just because we didn't have quite as much spending in year two coming out of COVID as in year one. However, he proposed a record 7 trillion dollar budget this year. So if we pass his budget, we would have the greatest deficit in the history of the country. But you're right. No Democrat and not certainly not this president is proposing any spending cuts. What he wants to do is to raise taxes by a trillion dollars over the next 10 years, and he's calling that deficit reduction. But as you know, if we raise taxes, we're going to uh, we're going to disincentivize the right things in our economy, and we're not going to realize that revenue anyway.
1: Well, again, Congressman Bob Good, I, I commend the Republicans for standing firm. First time I've seen this in in my 20 years of being this close to uh, to Congress and the work that they do. So I I, I commend the Republicans for sticking together. I want to I want to switch topics here before we run out of time. This week, uh, the House is slated to vote on a Congressional Review Act resolution that you put forward that would roll back the. Uh, The vote buying, what I call a vote buying scheme by the president to get the votes of the youth, uh, those who have uh, college uh, debt, the student loan forgiveness plan. Tell us about it.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right. The president on the eve of the election announced his student loan transfer scheme to make those who didn't borrow hundreds of billions of dollars have to pay the student loans of others who did borrow that. But thankfully, you got to go back about 25 years, the Newt Gingrich days, 1996, 27 years ago, where there was a a law passed by Congress where a major rule or regulation that comes out can be reviewed by Congress, overturned by Congress. So we're not waiting on the Supreme Court to see if they'll overturn overturn the student loan transfer scheme, but we're taking action as a Congress. I think this will pass out of the House this week. Then the Senate has to take it up, and hopefully there will be tremendous public pressure on the Senate to pass it on those, those somewhat uh, professing moderates, a couple of senators in the, in the Senate to join House Republicans in passing this, and then hopefully tremendous public pressure on, on President Biden to sign it.
1: Just a technical question for you, Bob. Does this require 60 votes to move through the Senate?
3: Uh, I, I don't believe so. I believe it takes just a simple majority on it.
1: Well, it has a real chance then of, uh, of actually passing. Congressman Bob Good, always great to see you. Thanks for fighting the good fight. Thank you, Tony. Again, great to be with you. All right, Congressman Bob Good of Virginia. Just an interesting note there. um, Recent polling shows that the president is really suffering with those in the age category, you know, 18 and up that he was uh, hoping to get with his uh, uh, student loan forgiveness plan. They're not buying it. All right. Don't go away. On the other side of the break, we're going to be talking about the climate czar, John Kerry. Well, he's, uh, he's blaming farmers for greenhouse gases. Mark Alford, congressman from Missouri, joins
4: us next. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us on this Monday. Be sure and check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. And hey, men in the Houston, Texas area, coming up June the 3rd, we have our Stand Courageous Men's Conference. You can find out more. It's a one-day conference. General Jerry Boykin and many others will be there. I'll be there. And I hope you'll be there. We'll save you a seat. Go to StandCourageous.com or TonyPerkins.com to find out more. President Biden's climate czar John Kerry has taken aim at farmers and ranchers stoking fears earlier this month at addressing climate demands, further regulations on the agricultural agricultural community. Here's uh, here's uh, just a short clip of what he had to say. Clip 13.
6: A lot of people have no clue that agriculture contributes about 33
1: percent of all the emissions of the world. We can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture is front and center as part of the solution. And what does that mean? They need to go away. Well, look, um, this is outrageous. And in response to this, 27 House Republicans have called on President Biden to disavow the former Secretary of State's attack on farmers and ranchers. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Mark Alford. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee and the House Agriculture Committee, and he is on the House Committee on Small Business. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Missouri. Congressman Alford, welcome back to the program.
0: Thank you so much, Tony. I'll tell you who has no clue, and that is Kerry, the climate cult czar. He has a war on farmers. Uh, You know, part of this emissions uh, that he's talking about is cow flatulence, who cares? We have God's creation trees that a- absorbs this carbon dioxide and turns it into, guess what? Oxygen. And yet this climate cult is intent on ruining our country, driving our farmers into the ground, and we're not going to stand for it.
1: Well, there's a connection between agriculture and food and survival. I mean, they're actually doing something that we need. They're producing food. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And we're working on the farm bill for 2023. It's going to be a, a big farm bill this year. About 80% of it's going to deal with these supplemental nutrition programs to feed our country. But really importantly, we need to protect our farmers. We need to have the safety net available to give them the security so they can keep on farming. Tony, did you know that a thousand farmers a month quit their business or give up their farms each month in America? We cannot continue to have national security if we don't have food security. And it's not going to mean the government picking winners and losers and getting behind the big farms that that buy up a lot of land and have a conglomerate that they can eventually control. This is about individual farmers passing on the heritage so they can pass on the food to us.
1: Right. Not not, not even to interject into this conversation foreign corporations that are buying up farmland that, as you say, becomes a national security uh, issue. But in a letter that you and uh, about 26, 27 of your colleagues sent to to President Biden, you actually point out how technology uh, has led the industry, the agriculture industry, to reduce emissions, that they're they're actually getting it done. Exactly. There is
0: nobody that's a better steward of the land than a farmer or rancher. Think about it. If they don't protect their soil, if they don't conserve, they won't have bigger and better crops with higher yields and more profits for them. God bless them for making a profit. My brother-in-law farms about 3,500 acres in our district. He is a great steward with the land. The equipment they have today outpaces equipment long, long ago. Lower emissions. Uh, another issue that we're dealing with, farmers are dealing with, it is the Waters of the U.S. Act. Um, that's before the Supreme Court. We hope to have a, a sane ruling on that uh, next month. Basically, the USDA and EPA flying drones over farmers' lands and declaring that those are waters of the U.S., and sometimes it ends up that those are ruts created by a combine that are filled up with water. That's not a navigable waterway. That's stupidity.
1: Yeah, you know, I have another idea of something that should be put out to pasture. I I think it's (laughs) it's the climate czar uh, so that we can actually get back to letting farmers and ranchers do what uh, they're called to do. Produce food so we can uh, so we can eat. Hey, I I was the last
0: time that John Kerry was actually on a combine or out in a norm. I, I invite John Kerry right now. Mr. Kerry, fly down. Commercial. On a plane to Missouri, and I will take you on my brother-in-law's farm. We'll get on that combine as we plant
1: for this season. Yeah, I, I, that's a picture I'd like to see. I just cannot picture him on Good any <laughs> type of farm equipment. Or you can come down and ride my, my tractors. I've got uh, I've got a few of them myself. All right, let me switch gears a little bit because you're on the House Armed Services Committee, and we we see the Department of Defense, the Biden administration, politicizing a military decision when it comes to the location of of America's Space Command, over the issue of abortion. They are letting decisions about national security, national defense, be driven by their preoccupation with abortion.
0: You know, it's crazy. The woke has made America broke in a lot of instances, and it's breaking our military. This decision was made by the Secretary of the Air Force in January of 21, two years ago that the best, most logical, reasonable place for Space Command to go was Huntsville, Alabama. And now, since then, Alabama's come out with some of the strictest abortion laws in America, thank goodness, outlawing abortion, and they want to use that decision to take away the Space Command from Huntsville, Alabama. It's not happening. We have written a letter to the Secretary of Defense asking for some clarification on this. But more importantly, the chairman of the uh, Armed Services Committee, uh, Chairman Rogers, has also told the Department of Defense to preserve all records. He wants to get to the bottom of how this happened and why they are being wishy-washy on this. We need to keep Space Command in Huntsville, Alabama.
1: Congressman, we're up against the break, but I I have a feeling that this year's National Defense Authorization Act is going to be quite interesting coming out of the House with so many of the woke policies that you mentioned coming from the Department of Defense.
0: It is going to be interesting markup sessions to be sure. Uh, I am a freshman on this committee. I've been told that this is a bipartisan committee, uh, that we get along to make sure that our military is strong. I want to be a part of that, but we do face some challenges. We've got to get the diversity, equity, inclusion out of the military. We've got to keep our generals from acting like politicians and be the true military leaders that they can be and should be. And we also have to restore patriotism to our nation to get our young people to fight for our freedom, to fight for our democracy.
1: Well said. Congressman Mark Alford, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Tony. God bless you.
1: All right. Well, coming up next, folks, I've, uh, I've said this before, the Biden border crisis has turned almost every community into a border community. Well, guess who agrees with me? The, the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. We're going to talk about it after the break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead.
7: Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion.
8: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview.
1: Well, after two years of ignoring or even denying or facilitating, however you want to look at it, the effects of the Biden administration's border crisis, some Democrats now acknowledge the issue as the disaster hits close to home. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is the latest Democrat to accept that in President Biden's America, every community is a border community. Now, I'll tell you, I don't feel very sympathetic given that New York declared itself as a sanctuary city when it could, you know, just use that as virtue signaling. But now that you've got border states actually putting people on the buses and sending them to the cities, they're crying, oh, we need more money. We need more money. He says the crisis has already cost his city a billion dollars. Well, here with me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Matt Rosendale. He's a member of the House Border Security Caucus, the House Freedom Caucus, the Veterans Affairs Committee, and the Committee on Natural Resources. He represents the 2nd Congressional District of Montana. Congressman Rosendale, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on tonight, Tony. So I want to get your thoughts on these blue sanctuary cities waking up to the border crisis uh, now that it's hit their own front lawn.
6: Yeah, it's, um, it's a shame that that's what it takes. The uh the pain and suffering that people have been experiencing all throughout the southern region and the southern states, and not to mention the millions of people that, quite frankly, are, are are suffering as they try to find their way to the United States. It's costing our taxpayers $150 billion a year. Now, the cities that are starting to have this same economic impact pushed upon them are, are starting to recognize, yes, there is a problem. I think the folks at Martha's Vineyard figured that out last summer when they had a, just one, one busload of illegals uh, sent up there. But it took New York City just a while longer to figure this out. And if we can finally get them to recognize uh, that there is a problem, then maybe uh, we can get the Senate Democrats to pass the immigration bill and the Southern Border Security bill that the House passed just a week ago and, and sent over to them.
1: Yeah, they keep saying this is Congress's fault. The Congress won't act. Well, Congress has acted. And the House has acted. It's passed a bill. It's waiting for Schumer to take it up. But this really, when you talk about illegal immigration, you talk about those coming across the border, whether it's the catch and release or the Godaways, whatever it is. You know, we've had about uh, I don't know about four point five million people under the Biden administration have come to, come into the country. That's, That's just a different. tip. That's just the tip of the iceberg when you look at all of the other issues with the drugs, with the terrorists, with others that have come in that seek to do harm to this country.
6: Yeah, and, you know, the, the, there's four to five million that have come in that have had encounters with some type of law enforcement. The scary part are the one and a half million people that snuck into our country under the dark of night uh, wearing camouflage and ghillie suits from head to toe and carpet shoes so that they can't be tracked. Just how bad of a uh, criminal do you have to be or a terrorist do you have to be to come sneaking into our country when it's been demonstrated that all you have to do is show up at Eagle Pass and the uh, the folks will let you come across the river. You will be admitted into our country. You'll be given a hearing date sometime into the distant future, seven, eight years. You'll be g- g- given clean clothes, a cell phone, and, and some uh living uh, money and, and sent on your way. We've got a major problem here, Tony. We don't know who's coming into the country, where they're settling. And when I think about, quite frankly, the 85,000 children that have come into our country, the unaccompanied children that had that been lost track of, it, it horrifies me to think of the conditions that they possibly have been thrust into, sold into, and have been distributed possibly not only around our country, but around the world at that is is not humane. That is not compassionate.
1: Uh, Matt, a a recent uh, Harvard-Harris poll actually conducted last week uh, shows that 68% of Americans, including 73% of swing voters, independents, um, once the problem is explained to them, they want stricter border policies. The media is not telling them the significance of the problem, and of course the administration is downplaying, but when you tell them The information we just talked about, that over 2.75 million came into the United States illegally over the last 12-month period, and more than 1.2 million have crossed since then, they realize we got a problem on our border and we have to fix it.
6: We have to. And and the, the, the things that it takes to fix it, Tony, are not theoretical. We know what to do. We know that by completing the border wall security system, the sensing devices, the cameras, the lighting, the road that, that would parallel the wall, that that would be a huge, huge help. We know that by implementing the stricter standards on asylum and making sure that people really do have a, a threat to their their lives, and that's why they're fleeing, and they're only coming across one border in order to gain that asylum status. We know that by making them wait in Mexico to get their hearing date, most of the folks return. About 75% of the people that came up and claimed asylum status while President Trump was in office, uh, while they had to wait in Mexico, 75% of them right. went back to their country of origin. So not only are you sending right. back the ones that, that came here, but you slow down the flow of people that are fleeing Uh, trying to get into our country dramatically.
1: I I saw that with my own eyes. You're absolutely right. And again, the House of Representatives, led by the Republicans, have passed a bill to address these issues. It's waiting for the Senate to do something with it.
6: All we have to do is get the Senate back to work, same as we do on the debt ceiling.
1: All right. Congressman Matt Rosendale, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining
6: us. Thanks for having me on, Tony. All
1: right. All right. Coming up next, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachmann will join me from Geneva, Switzerland, site of the 76th World Health Assembly, with a disturbing report on what is taking place at the WHO meeting. Stay tuned. for Washington Watch straight ahead.
8: Are you prepared to pray, vote and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders. For this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media, watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us on this Monday. Hey, we are less than two weeks away from our next Stand Courageous Men's Conference, which will be held on June the 3rd. That's Saturday, June 3rd at First Baptist Church, Houston, Texas. To find out more, go to tonyperkins.com or StandCourageous.com. There's still room for you. So go ahead and register today. You can do that at StandCourageous.com. The 76th World Health Assembly kicked off its week-long meeting in Geneva, Switzerland yesterday, bringing together representatives from the World Health Organization's 194 member states. Now, you would think that the WHO that responded so poorly to the Chinese coronavirus pandemic would want to put that behind them. No, no, not at all. Because they found that fear-mongering gave them power. So they wanna keep it going.
2: The end of COVID-19 as a global health emergency is not the end of COVID as a global health threat. The threat of another variant emerging that causes new surges of disease and death remains. And the threat of another pathogen emerging with even deadlier potential remains.
1: That was Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus, the Director General of the World Health Organization, earlier today. Now, one of the first items of business today was actually to increase the mandatory fees of member states by 20 percent. That's just one of the many things they're up to this week. Well, former Congresswoman Michelle Bachmann is in Geneva, and she joins me to discuss what the WHO is up to this week, and in particular, the Pandemic Accord That the WHO is pursuing that would essentially give them global police powers, threatening our freedom in so many different ways. She served in Congress for eight years and is now the dean of the Robertson School of Government at Regent University, as well as chair of the board here at the Family Research Council. During her time in Congress, she served on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Uh, Dean Bachman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us.
2: Tony, thanks so much. It's great to be with you from Geneva, Switzerland tonight.
1: So tell us uh, what you're seeing and hearing there on the ground. You've been there through the weekend. You were there for the start of uh, the meeting. What, what are you hearing?
2: Well, exactly what we thought was going to happen. All of the documents that we've been reading for over a year uh, that would establish a platform for global governance through the World Health Organization, are exactly, without blushing, this is what they intend to do and what they plan to do. They're not going to do it this year. We thought it was going to be done, but they're making sure they perfect it over the next year. So there's a dual track process that they're following. One is through a pan, a global pandemic treaty that they're calling an accord. The second is through a package of about 300 amendments to the international health rules. Both lead to the same result, both lead to the creation of a platform for global governance through healthcare. And it is a web that locks us in, that we have, that we, the likes of which we've never seen before. The interesting thing to me, Tony, is that there were no members of Congress here. I was actually shocked. Because this has been a big issue that a lot of their constituents have rightfully been very concerned about. There wasn't one senator here or his staff or her staff or one House member or staff. There was no American press here. So how would anyone even know what was going on unless they tuned in and they watched for themselves? One thing I was shocked at today, Tony, is the conversation that was being had over covid was exactly the one the the view that the World Health Organization took at the beginning of COVID we've learned a lot of things in the last 3 years haven't we and the World Health Organization bungled almost everything whether it was masks or vaccines or lockdowns but yet they acted like nothing happened there was no review they acted like everything was just normal and they're planning to go ahead With all 300 amendments. As a matter of fact, they gave their strategy today. They're planning to meet in New York City in September. They'll go over the progress that they're going to make. In January, they'll give a final completed package of the 300 amendments together with a global pandemic treaty to the World Health Organization and the UN and the World Health uh, to the World Health Organization. And then they'll meet again in Geneva next February. But one year from this week, they will take the vote. And so they intend to vote for a platform for global government and to give themselves the power that no one has ever seen before. But I was actually kind of shocked, Tony. Today, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was at the World Health Organization. They were having meetings. I I was shocked at the concentration of global power in Geneva. I, I had no idea how close it all is together and how powerful it is. The World Trade Organization, the World Health Organization, the United Nations, directly across Lake Geneva from the United Nations is the official world headquarters of the World Economic Forum. All of these organizations are together. And one thing they said today in the meetings is that we want to increase global governance. We want to increase it here in Geneva and they want Geneva to be the site for the global governance
1: well, wow. uh, Michelle, there's a lot to unpack there, so let me just jump in with a, a few more questions. First, you know clarifying for our viewers and listeners the the World Health Organization has been an advisory body. I mean, member states yes. can take or leave take it or leave it, whatever they say. Fortunately, in most cases they 've left it because they they're so misguided. But under these new amendments, these amendments that are being pursued under their current policies and the accord, it's being called a court so they can avoid having to get it ratified as a treaty, this would move them from an advisory body to one that actually has jurisdiction over every governmental entity, including those here in the United States.
2: Well, that's exactly the point, Tony. That's right. All 194 member nations would be under the thumb of the World Health Organization. And what the Director General, Tedros Ghebreyesus, has to say, whatever he dictates, that's the way that it goes. People need to know what this means. We were all upset with Dr. Fauci when Dr. Fauci would wear one mask and then all of a sudden he'd show up with four masks on and tell us we had to do that. Or churches had to close down. Schools had to close down. Now that level of power and authority would move to the World Health Organization in Geneva, Switzerland. So they'd make the decision for Pasadena, California, or Keokuk, Iowa, or uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. They would be making the decision. We would have nowhere to go to appeal. You know, I've talked to a lot of members of Congress about this, Tony. I have begged them to get involved. I've talked to members of the United States Senate. They've all looked at me and said, this will never happen. This will never go through. Members of the Senate will never approve of this treaty. Well, I have news for them. The World Health Organization has no intention of allowing the the global pandemic treaty to come back to the Senate to be voted on. Why weren't the senators there today? Why don't they get the current copies? And their copies are all sitting there. They're they're on the website. Get the copy of the pandemic treaty. Start holding hearings on it. Bring in the Biden administration today. I heard from Secretary um, Xavier Becerra, the head of our Health and Human Services. And Tony, he said he wants more bio surveillance. In other words, surveillance of our bodies. And then they wanna share that data with everyone else in the world. This is highly invasive. They were very clear today. They want very bold language. They intend to have surveillance over every citizen on earth, and they intend to be in control and they intend to control us through healthcare. So we need our senators to wake up, hold hearings, pull these documents in, start to review them because if they're thinking they'll wait until January, that's pretty late because the next meeting will be in, Ge- in Geneva in February. The final vote will take place in May. So they, they should have been there this week, Tony. They should have been there this week. But they need to pull this in the Senate. And I would call on Kevin McCarthy. As he is doing this negotiating for raising the debt ceiling, I would put on the table that Joe Biden has to get the United States out of the World Health Organization and pull the funding for the World Health Organization as the price of raising the debt ceiling.
1: So, Michelle, if I'm not mistaken, as I read through what they're proposing, you know, we're focused on the pandemic because we just, you know, we came through the uh, the coronavirus pandemic. But this goes beyond just pandemics. I mean, they can declare Any health crisis. I mean, I'm looking at some of uh, Gabriel's (laughs) comments. Uh, Climate. He says climate is a crisis. Um, We're talking about gender reassignment surgeries. We're talking about abortion. I mean, there's a lot that falls under this umbrella.
2: Yeah, racism. So they've got this concept they talked about today, Tony, called One Health. And they've got graphics on it. And they show humans, animals, the earth one health. So when decisions are made about health care, they have to take into account the, the the earth and what the impact would be on climate change. And then they have to take into account what is the impact on smelt or a rodent. So what it boils down to is humans equal cockroaches equal a clump of dirt. And so the, here the director general will be making decisions about Healthcare or lockdowns or vaccines or whatever he's going to make decisions about. And we have as much value to them as a cockroach and a lump of dirt. That's why you don't want to give up decision making authority to someone like the director general, the WHO. They have a very different agenda at hand. And this is a, a, an agenda for global governance. And I was shocked. I didn't, I didn't realize until I came to Geneva this week that Julius Caesar actually came to Geneva, Switzerland and the, the Roman empire ended at the Swiss Alps. He wanted to make a name for himself. He wanted to be great. So he came to Geneva, Switzerland. He had a skirmish with some of the Swiss and he expanded the Roman, Roman empire all the way to the North Sea. So he doubled the size of the Roman Empire. And it looks like what's happening here, Tony, is a revival of the Roman Empire again. They talked about it all day today, how they want to expand global governance and how they want to expand the power and authority here in Geneva, where it's the World Trade Organization, the World Health Organization, the United Nations, the the, uh, World Economic Forum, the International Red Cross, all these international organizations are here. This is a major finance center. This is, we were told, this is the second largest center for trading oil in the world. The amount of money that's here is unbelievable. Is black Mercedes everywhere. The the Four Seasons Hotel is all full of these people and the Ritz-Carlton is full and all the fancy dinners and everything that's going on. These people have big plans for us. And what they want is a global governance system And it will upend the American form of government forever.
1: Michelle, that sounds like a few of the pieces from the book of Revelation coming together.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought when I was here this week. I thought we need to wake up. We need to watch what's going on. Anyone can look at this information, Tony. Anyone can watch these sessions. All you have to do is go to the World Health Organization, World Health Assembly, And just put it into your browser and you can watch all of these sessions and see what's going on. All the documents are there as well. Every single member of Congress should read these 300 amendments. They're planning to pass them all. That's what the guy in charge of the amendments said today. They're planning to pass them all. They think they're perfect the way they are. And the Global Pandemic Treaty, they think that language is perfect the way it is. People need to read this treaty. It'll make your hair stand up on the back of your neck. Be at the loss of power and freedom that we will have if this passes. And it'll pass. No one objected. Right. That was the other thing, Tony. Not one objection by anyone. It was a me too, I agree, I agree, I agree party. I was just shocked. There was no free discussion. I, I was sat in on a round table. There's no free round table discussion where people shared ideas. It was all pre-baked and everyone said, I agree, I agree, I agree. We got to do this and it's urgent. And the number one word that they used besides urgent was equity. We have to have equal outcomes for everyone on earth with universal health care. meaning they said, we've got to look at all the money we have to spend. We don't need to look at our budgets. And for those countries that are producing health products, they need to produce more health products and give them a way to the world. So one thing they didn't do, they didn't focus on any new breakthroughs in medicine. There was nothing about health here. There was nothing about medicine. There's nothing about breakthroughs or cures. Everything was about giving themselves more power control. and more authority.
1: Control. Yes. It's all about control. There is a bill, H.R. 79. I think Andy Biggs is the author of that bill that would withdraw the U.S. from the, uh, the the WHO, but uh, we're almost out of time, Michelle. But I want to I want to put a fine point on something so people don't think, well, this is just business as usual. We've had the United Nations before. This is just one of their oh. agencies. This gives the WHO more power than the United Nations has ever thought about having.
2: That's right. The United Nations has loved to have this power, and after the beta test of covid in the last three years they had a taste a delicious taste of what power felt like and so now they're going they're going to go for the gold and grab the whole enchilada they want the full fount of power so that no no tony fauci can never make decisions again now they want all All the decisions made out of geneva
1: michelle thanks so much for taking time to join us we're out of time but hopefully we'll uh, touch base with you later in the week as well
2: thanks again tony
1: all right, Michelle Bachman from uh, Geneva, Switzerland, covering the uh, WHO. All right, we're out of time. Thanks for being with us, but we're going to continue tracking this. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says you've done everything you can do, and you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony
4: Perkins is brought
0: to you by Family Research Council
2: 7234